This morning we're continuing our journey through, um, through a series um, that is seeking to ask the question, what does it look like, what does it mean to find refuge in God? And this morning our, our text is taken from Psalm 16. Let me read that and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. This is again Psalm 16. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it should be right in front of you or perhaps on, on, your, on, your, on your pew, your chair. Again, it's Psalm 16. It's on page uh, 468, 468 of uh, the Pew Bible. Hear now the very word of the Lord. This is taken from Psalm 16, a psalm of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not, put out, I will not pour out their librations of blood to such gods or take up their names upon my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me excuse me you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The word of the Lord let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we, um, we ask that you would send your spirit to open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that perceive, that are ready to understand. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus, amen. Actually, before jumping into the sermon text this morning, I want to just give a brief exhortation to those of you who are men, whatever age you are, college and up, I want to just talk to you briefly about something that has been on my heart. Let me just kind of communicate it by a story. When I was a freshman in high school, I was trying out for the basketball team at my high school. And uh, before we got in, the coach was laughing, he came in laughing, and he uh, he said, I've got to tell you something. This is hilarious. And he mentioned uh, the guy who was a senior at the time. He was a, the star basketball player of our school. And like all these guys, we kind of worshipped him. He was just a phenomenal player. And, uh, but apparently, he had just left before our practice was starting. I don't know if it was practice or tryouts or whatever. But outside, the star basketball player got into his car, and the parking lot was completely empty except for one car parked right next to his. And he got in the car, turned up the music, and just ripped, ripped off, you know, just took off, not realizing that he needed to avoid the car, parked car next to him. So he totally sideswiped, you know, this, this one parked car, the only parked car in the entire parking lot. 
And my coach just thought that was really funny, being a typical guy, he just thought it was hilarious. But there's kind of this interesting picture of, on one hand, a guy who's a star player, like really, really good at something, something that you're enviably good, something that every guy, almost every guy would, would want. And yet just because he was good in one area of his life, they didn't mean at all that he was good in other areas of his life. That he wasn't still incredibly capable of doing an extremely stupid thing. I mean, come on, there's only one other car in the entire parking lot. And you nail it. Right? Man, it is impossible to be good at everything. In fact, it's impossible to be good at most things. And in fact, more often than not, if we're honest, many of us don't have a clue what we're doing in a lot of things in life. And that's not wrong. It's not bad. There's no, it's not like you somehow you should just, I mean, there's this, sort of this idea that somehow we just show up and once we become 20, 22, 25, we're supposed to just know how to do everything. And it's just simply not the case. Listen, being a man today, being a husband, being a father, is almost impossible. It's a very difficult. And I'm asking you, I am pleading with you, to, to come to me and to help us together start a men's ministry. Something where we meet once a week, we discuss God's word, we pray together, we support one another. We can't do this alone. I'm praying for it earnestly. But I, I, it won't happen unless you want it to happen. Unless you say, you know what, I, all this busyness, all this TV watching, all of this stuff, sports, or whatever, it's, it's not... It's not like these things are evil, but they become evil when they take the place of what is essential. Does that make sense? Your pastor didn't just say, hey, you know, watching sports is evil. It's of the devil. But I'll tell you what, when it supplants what is essential, right, it becomes something very dark and twisted. And that is the nature of our time. We live in a time where supplements, listen to this, this is so important, supplements have become substitutes. Did you hear that? It's a beautiful line, Joshua Mitchell, Georgetown professor. Supplements, things that are good in life, and sports, hobbies. You know, I mean, just good stuff. They become substitutes for what is really important. Think about that from a nutritional perspective. What happens when taking supplements? I mean, that's a good thing. You take some, I'm going to take some vitamins. I'm going to take some, you know, whatever it may be to help supplement my diet. But then you actually take those, you make those, take those supplements, and you make them substitutes. This is all I'm going to eat, ever. I mean, how wise is that? And yet that is what's happening in our culture. Guys, so I just, before we jump in here, I just wanted to just make that exhortation, that plea to you. Would you please consider, hey, what will it take for me not only logistically, not only in terms of schedule, what will it take for my heart? What sacrifices will it be? Am I really at a place where I'm willing to be, to show up, to listen, to actually open up a little bit, to talk about, hey, this is, I don't know how to do this in my life. I just have no clue. Can you pray for me? Can you even got any advice? Because I'm dying over here. Okay? So I just, just wanted to throw that out there before, 
before we jump in here. So let's turn to, back to Psalm 16. Let's turn to this notion of refuge. And I want to begin this morning in a, sort of a, an, uh, an unorthodox way. This is, I'm doing this not to be cool, not to be sort of relevant, but I want to share this music video with you. It's a video that, uh, it's a song that I came across rather in the last week or two. And it's a, um, it's a song called Wrecked. And I'm going to explain a little bit the music video so you can help to, to interpret it uh, as you watch it. But it's by a group called Imagine Dragons. And it's a song by, by it's written by the, 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 main, the, vocal, the lead vocalist, a guy named Dan Reynolds. And it's a song uh, about, uh, it's a song of lament, actually. It's about uh, the loss of his sister-in-law to cancer. And it speaks of just his loss, of his longing to see her again. And many of the words, it'll have the words at the bottom of the screen. But I want to prepare you in the sense that it's this, you know, like most music videos that you watch, it's like these scenes of like partying and fun, and it's embraced, right? This is what we do. We're rock stars and we party, right? And this is kind of how we live life. This has partying and, and all this, you know, drinking and stuff and these cool people, and yet he's in the midst of it all and he doesn't fit in, Right? Because think about it, when you're grieving the loss of a loved one, what's the, what do you want to do? You want to go party, right? You want to go hang out and, you know, dance? I mean, maybe, maybe it might help for an hour until you get drunk or something like that. But, I mean, is it really going to help you grieving? So it shows how he doesn't fit into the rest of the world and the loneliness that he has. And not only that, he, at one point he's driving this beautiful, I think it's a Ford Mustang, it's a beautiful Mustang, and he's just, he just, it doesn't help. He finally gets out of the car and just walks and runs away because there's nothing that can help him as a refuge for his grief. In fact, in an interview with the Rolling Stones, Reynolds, uh, Reynolds says this, he says, this song was my way of dealing with it all as music has always been my refuge. Uh, her sudden passing, that is his sister-in-law's sudden passing, has shaken me in ways that I still am unable to express. I was with her and my brother when she passed, and it was the first time in my life that I had witnessed death in this way. It sealed into my mind, listen to these words, it sealed into my mind the fragility of life. Life is so uncertain. It's so, so just fragile. At any moment, at any time, it can go. Weakening or lost. It's sealed into my mind the fragility of life and the finality of this all. So let's watch this. Ron, you have that on there? Um, I'll just go ahead and play it from the beginning. It's, again, it's about four minutes, but just kind of soak it in. And I think you'll really appreciate it. You can, hear, you can read the lyrics at the bottom. Days pass by and my eyes stay dry And I think that I'm okay Till I find myself in conversation fading away The way you smile, the way you walk The time you took to teach me all that you had done Tell me, how am I supposed to move on? These days I'm becoming everything that I hate Wishing you were around but now it's too late My mind is a place that I can't escape your ghost Sometimes I wish that I could wish it all away
that are important become really clear. Did you hear that last part? When trials come, what? The things that are important become clear, right? In the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering, in those moments of uh, real grief and sorrow, in the moments of danger, what matters um, it's we begin to ask those questions, what really matter? You know, it's, it's interesting how, I, one, of the, one of the reasons I wanted to show that video was just the way in which wealth, popularity, uh, material possessions, all of those things are useless in the face of suffering and death. Absolutely useless. In fact, I can remember uh, for several years I ministered to young adults in their in their 20s primarily, early 30s. And if you were to get them all together on a Sunday morning, there were, I don't know, 125 of them or so, and you were to take a picture of them, a group photo, 
you would look at them and you'd think, wow, like, like they are the picture of youth, of strength, of vitality, of, of, of um, potential. And, and wouldn't you want their life? And, and in many ways, I mean, they came from, you know, middle, upper, middle class backgrounds. In many ways, they, they were highly intelligent. You know, and what was amazing to me, as I got to know each one of them, how many of them struggled with actual various physical infirmities. Celiac disease, asthma, scoliosis, uh, chronic migraines. It was amazing how many of them, and it's true. I mean, it's, I don't know, you show up on a Sunday morning and you think, oh, everyone looks, everyone's walking. You know, they're, they're, they have a smile on their face. They're fine. It's amazing how many people you don't know are actually quietly struggling with various kinds of illnesses and infirmities. And not only that, but again, here's this group of people in, 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 in the middle class, raised in you know, white picket fence neighborhoods, and you think, oh, they've never known danger in their life. And for many of the, many of, of the men, that may be somewhat true, but it's amazing in today's college hookup environment how many of the women that I ministered to had been in circumstances that were altogether shady. Had been in suddenly a circumstance where there's drinking going on, and it's unclear it, what is happening. It's unclear what's, how safe they are in situations with men that they know. But that, again, that's, I, I, I mentioned those two, circ- those two examples of a, a music video uh, of Hollywood or, or of, um, of wealth and, and status and uh, society. Uh, also, that, that picture of persons who are, you know, most of them Duke and UNC grad students. And yet, even in, for all of their, their quote-unquote privilege, they were powerless against so much in life. And if that's true for them, how much true for, you think of the people who live in our cities today and the violence that's there, the, the um, think even more than that to the church in Afghanistan today and what they, and just the, the horrors of, of, of that they are experiencing, the hiding, the waiting, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the uh, navigating to try to stay out of, out of the way of death. Um, and I want to, I want to, I want to talk about uh, the nature of God's refuge from danger and death this morning. Because the nature of it's very important to understand. Let me kind of give a, maybe a silly example, but hopefully it's one that you can relate to. I recently got a new cell phone. And my cell phone is, uh, it's, um, it's supposedly, I'm not going to try this out. Supposedly it's waterproof. Okay? Now my old phone is not waterproof. Okay, so think about this. So I say I have my old, my old phone and my new phone, and, and I drop both of them in water. Or I, let's say this, I hold both of them. Let's say that, actually, let's think of it this way. Let's say that my son, my 17-month, 17-month-old son, Harrison, that he has got both of my phones, okay, and he is standing over the bathtub, okay? Now, Salvation, or a refuge, God, having God as our refuge, having God as our Savior, is a lot like having the phone that is waterproof versus the phone that isn't. Both of them may go in the drink, okay? But in the one case, I have nothing to fear, right? Do your worst, Right? On the other hand, it's, I have everything to fear because the whole thing is going to, I'm invested, there's no, I'm vulnerable, okay? 
So the nature of Christian salvation, the nature of God being our refuge, as we're going to see in this text, isn't, this is so important, isn't an avoidance of danger and death. It's not that we get away from danger and death, right? It's that we're able to go through danger and death without fear. Okay, that's not to say that it's fun. It's not to say it's not to make light of the gravity, of the pain, of the sorrow, of the loss. But it's to say that it's not about getting away from those things. It's about being able to go through those things, as we're going to see in the psalm. Okay, is that making sense to me? It making sense to you? Okay, it's very important to understand because the idea that getting away from those things, getting away from danger, getting away from disaster, getting away from death, that somehow that's the gospel, there's a name for that. It's called the health and wealth gospel. And it's, it's, it's very prevalent. If you have enough faith, you will heal from this disease. If you have enough faith, you won't die. If you have enough faith, you won't run into disaster. And that is, that is found nowhere, nowhere in Scripture, okay? It's just that something, this idea that, hey, you can live, if you have enough faith, or if you, have, if you do these, these, these certain things, if you're close enough to God, if you, whatever it might be, whatever the, you know, the criteria are, that you, somehow you will escape these things, you will get away from them. And Psalm 16 says that it's actually very different from that. And you may ask, you know, well, wait, why does it have to be that way? Why can't he just... Why can't we get away? Why, why can't we just avoid these things? Why can't we get away from danger, get away from death? Why, why is it that I, I don't want to, I'm from the cell phone and I'm, I'm, I'm waterproof, I still don't want to have to get wet, right? We prefer, I would still prefer that Harrison didn't drop my cell phone in the drink, right? And here's, here's I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I mean, I think that's a very good question. It's a legitimate question. It's a question the psalmist af, often asks. But let me give you just a, what I think is a, somewhat of a silly illustration, but I think a meaningful one. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in the Air Force, Sarah and I were involved at a church. We were involved in the youth group. And uh, there was a young guy in the youth group, a high, high schooler, and he was scared of heights. I mean, petrified of heights. And therefore, he was scared of roller coasters. And one day, his friends forced him somehow, they forced him, to go on a roller coaster. And when he got off, he had this huge perma-smile on his face. And he exclaimed, he said, I am the man. <laughs> and then he said, you know what? That actually wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. And he says, I guess, listen to this, I guess I was afraid for nothing. See, when we actually, listen, I, 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 I do not say this lightly, okay? I do not say this sort of in this platitudinal sort of um, Pollyanna sort of way to make light of the heartache, the loss, the afflictions, the grief that you may be going through. But what if, what if through the very experiences that you have right now, God is showing you that he will be present. That he will sustain you. And that in truth, you do not have anything to fear. Because when you get off that roller coaster ride, 
or maybe even as you continue to ride the roller coaster, you'll realize, I guess I was afraid for nothing. And that's the nature of what it means to have God as our refuge. Are you following me? Through danger and death, it's to say, you know what? He is with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I will not fear, for you are with me. Right? So it's this notion of divine presence. It's this notion of, of God being with us, of not needing to be afraid. Is that, is that I don't know. So, so here's, let me, just, let me just give you the, I go one more illustration, and we'll jump into the text here. This is, I, I have a very bad memory. It was some number of years ago, but I was, I was driving, and I was uh, going to pull onto sort of a main drag, something like very similar to Telegraph Road. Just imagine I'm sort of leaving uh, the church here, and I was going to pull onto a Telegraph Road. And you know how sometimes you, there's, a, there's a lot of traffic, and so you can't make a move all at once. You just pull into the middle lane, right? And you just stop there in the middle lane, right? So like you're going left. And often cars, there's no cars this way, so you can, you can go, you know, coming from the left, so you can pull into that you know, suicide lane or that middle lane, but there are cars coming this way. So this at was one particular time, I did exactly that. I, I, I pull out across this, you know, the, the immediate lane, and I pull into the middle lane. Well, this person, this car was coming along, um, you know, going, going this way, going, um, you know, and I was going to pull in parallel to them. And I'll never forget the look on this poor woman's face who was driving in that car because she literally thought I was pulling into her lane. Does that make sense? And so she's driving and she sees me coming, what she thinks I'm coming at her. And she just goes, <laughs> I, I couldn't hear anything, but I can imagine that she's screaming, you know, thinking that there's about to be this imminent collision. You know what I mean? And it's just going to be bad. And it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be like, and she's this look of like a terror, but also like, you know, what are you doing? Right? You moron. Right? Like, how can you, why would you ever drive right into my car in my lane? And I remember thinking, I remember wondering, like, how long was it before she realized that she was okay? You know what I mean? That there actually, actually, at no time was she in any danger. But there was this perception that, hey, I'm about to die. This is over for me. This is, a, you know, what is happening here? And my question this morning is, what if, what if we don't have to be afraid? What if our fears aren't, aren't founded? What if it's okay? What if God is such a shepherd and such a refuge that we can walk through the challenge, the hardship, the, afflic the afflictions, the dangers, and even death itself without fear? Okay, so let's Let's walk through this passage together. Basically, it starts, look at verse 1. Again, this is on your pew Bible. Verse, uh, page 468, Psalm 16. When scared, when David is scared, when he's longing for safety, David seeks refuge in God first, listen to this, first, by just simply speaking to him. It's that simple. It's prayer. Verse 1, keep me safe my God, for in you I take refuge. He begins with a plea. What's it look like to take refuge of God? It begins with a plea. Kids, what's a plea? It's a, it's a request. You're asking. It's a prayer. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
Okay, so he seeks refuge in God by simply seeking the Lord in prayer. But, first, but really, first, how does that look like? This is what it looks like, verse 2. First, he seeks refuge first by surrendering to God's control and care. So think about this. You're in the midst of your week. Suddenly you're overcome by anxiety. You're overcome by fear. You're worried. You feel in danger. What could be a financial danger? Whatever the cause may be, you feel in danger. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to surrender to God's control and care. Look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. That is to say, you are my master. You're the one in charge. You own me. I belong to you. I surrender to you. And apart from you, I have no good thing. All the good things in my life that I have are connected to you, are somehow from you. They're related to you. They're a gift from you. See, in the ancient world, when you became someone's, someone's servant, there was a sense of obligation as the master to provide and to protect. See, David, for all his resources, so important. For all his resources, the guy's I mean, a brilliant musician, right? Brilliant lyricist, brilliant poet, lethal soldier. I mean, the guy, I mean, come on wrestles wild animals and wins. I mean, I don't know who does that, right? Uh, the guy, you know, he goes to the battle and he comes back and what, what, are the, what, is, what are the people singing? Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Again, it's metaphorical, but his idea is that he's a lethal soldier. Strategist, able to know how to win battles. The guy's a gifted statesman. For all of his gifts, for all of his capacity, he still arrives at the place where he's still vulnerable. And the first thing to do when we are scared is to recognize, guess, guess what, gang? You are not in control. You're not. You never will be. And so to surrender is to acknowledge the reality. Hey, listen, I'm not in control here, clearly. And it leads to us to ask the question, is anyone in control? And David says, yes. It's Israel's God, Yahweh. And that's why I know he's in control, so I'm going to take his side. I'm going to surrender to him. I'm going to surrender to his control and to his care. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I believe that you're in control and that you really care about me. So it's the first thing he does in the face of danger. He, he clarifies where his allegiances lie. I'm going to surrender everything. God's control and care. Second, he finds refuge in God by seeking out God's community. Seeking out God's community. Look in verse 3. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. See, David, so often when we're scared, when we're fearful, we, we actually withdraw. We, we, we withdraw, we go by, our, we get by ourselves. David says, no, no, what does it mean to look for, find refuge in God right here, right now? is to actually lean into the community of faith. And so he says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, I love this, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Do you delight in God's people? Do you delight in one another? When's the last time you affirmed someone, you celebrated them? You texted them or said in person, I'm so grateful for you, so thankful for you. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I can be the one who's, who's the, the greatest critic of the church of God. 
I can look at all of you, shake your, shake my head, the church at large, or frustrated with you guys, irritated with you guys, and it's horrible. It's wrong. All of you are the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ spilled his blood for you. He loves you. He has absolutely no, your father, your heavenly father has no regret whatsoever about shedding the blood of his son for you. At no time does he go, you know what, this was a mistake. You know what, I'm just done with Bruce. Gang, he loves you. He delights in you. Not only for how he's created you, not only for the changes that have happened, but he sees what you will one day become. He does, and he delights in you. And my question is, are, you, are we delighting in one another? In the midst of hardship and struggle, are we leaning into community? See, the bride of Christ often looks weak and pathetic and wayward, but through the eyes of God, it is beautiful. There's transformation. There's life. There's goodness. There's sacrifice. And I just, I, it breaks my heart game sometimes to feel like most of you don't know each other. You just don't. And you're missing out. You are. You are. You're missing out on seeing the beauty of what God is doing in other people's lives. You're missing out on seeing the hurts and the struggles that they're daily facing, often with a lot of faith. But you're missing out realizing that they actually need you. And I'm going to invite you this morning. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe this is the moment that you actually begin to invest in God's people. So as a member, you show up early before the service. You stay after, you prioritize Sunday worship instead of sports, instead of visiting with family and friends. Family and friends come into town, what do you do? Hey, mom, dad, sister, brother, we're, we're going to church on Sunday morning. That's our community, we need it, we're hurting. So you can come along with us, or you can stay behind, whatever, but this is what we do. We delight in God's people. To invest in God's people, to delight in them, is to invite them into your home, into your hearts. Look real quick, turn to the right, look to Luke 14. Luke chapter 14, it's so beautiful, Jesus' words. He gives us a picture of what hospitality is to be like, to delight in God's people. Luke chapter 14, I'll show you what, it's on page 897. 897, your pew Bible, Luke chapter 14. I'll give you a second to turn there, because I want you to see these words. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. And then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the banquet, I'm sorry, excuse me, the, 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 uh, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they, they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. To delight in God's people. See, so often God's people are the, we're just not cool. We don't, we're not influential. We're not a big deal. We're just kind of nobodies. And Jesus says that's exactly what hospitality is all about. Delighting in the nobodies. Delighting in the forgotten. Delighting in the failing. And finding that Jesus is there and that you are blessed 
in unexpected ways. In fact, when I was going to mention the young adult community that I ministered to for three years or so in Durham earlier, and often I would challenge them. So many of them were coming in for a year, two years, maybe three, maybe four years at most from med school. And I would say, listen, your temptation will be here just to say, you know, I'm just passing through. Why get involved? Why serve? Why invest? And I said, I challenge you to invest in this short time. Because why? Think about it. When, when you're not from around here, we're going to be leaving soon, and you still take the time to love and care about someone and invest in them, what does that say? You're like, wait, wait, why are you doing this? What are you seeking? To, what, what's, what's in this for you? It's not about that. I really care. I really want to serve. I really want to, you're one of God's people. It's not about what's in it for me in this sort of quid pro quo. That's what, that's what Luke's getting after. Don't, don't invite the people. This isn't an I scratch, your, I, I scratch your back, you scratch my back, sort of very t- common act of reciprocity that the ancient world was known for and in today's world. I'm going to invite you over if I can put you on my resume. Right? And it's all just everyone using everybody else. Instead of you saying, listen, I love you, I'm gonna, and I'm, gonna, I'm here for you. I want to hear your story. I want to pray for you. I need you in my life. I need you to pray for me. I need to hear from you. I need your counsel. I need your advice. So, in the midst of danger, in the midst of, of, of uncertainty, what does David do? First, he surrenders to God's control. Then he seeks out God's community. And he delights in them. Right? As a member, as a hospitality. And listen to this. He actually, listen, this is so important. To delight in someone is to invest in them. And I'm going to ask again, are you investing here at Good Shepherd? You know what I long for? I long for someone to have a passion for, for student Sunday school. To say, you know what? We have these kids, and I want to make sure that they have the best Sunday school ever. And so I'm going to commit myself to praying for them. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to equip the teachers to help them succeed. Make sure they have the best curriculum. Make sure that they know, hey, what's going on? What, how, how can I help? What, what, what ways can I facilitate you? So to encourage the parents, send your kids. We want to love them. We want to grow them. You text your parents saying, listen, I want you to know I'm praying for your kid. He's one of our students. And we love him. We want to see him flourish. We want to see him be a man or woman who fears the Lord. And you be this, this highly committed Sunday school coordinator. Or maybe it's a small group coordinator. And you're thinking, you know what? Where it happens, is where, where the, the people of God really are the people of God, is in small groups. Where they actually get to know each other. They actually be comfortable. They laugh they, together. They cry together. They eat together. They pray together. They do life together. Yes, Sundays are essential. This is where we worship. This is where we receive God's word. But it's at those small groups where the body life really happens. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be the one who's coordinating all the logistics of that. I want to I invite, I want to see as many people here at Good Shepherd involved in small groups. Or maybe it's the diaconal support team. Maybe you think, you know, I delight in God's people. And I see Brad and Mark week in and week out busting their butts. And I, there's no reason that I can't. I, can, I, know how to, I know how to change a light bulb. I know how to mow a lawn. I know how to do these things. It's just not hard. Or maybe it's even something like the sound team. I mean, my goodness. Is one of you one day going to give Ron a break? 
So when are you going to take over and say, you know what? I want to make sure every time there's sound on Sunday morning, it's the best sound. No problems, no issues. It's we're going to make them, we're going to make a team, and we're going to make this happen. These are these very typical ways that we say, we can say these beautiful words. That these, as for the holy ones who are in the land, they are my delight. Okay, so in the midst of fear, in the midst of, 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 of danger, David first, what does he do? He surrenders control, to God's control. He, second, he seeks out God's community. And third, listen to this. He sees through God's competition. In Psalm 16, in verse 4, we read this. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out their libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. David sees through the gods of, our, of his culture. He's able to look at wealth and say, you know what? Wealth isn't going to help. Fame, it's not going to help. Connections, it's not going to help. He sees through all of these things. He says, no, these are false refuges, are false sources of refuge. And then he celebrates God's commitment to him. Let's look at verses five, uh, five through eight. This is so beautiful. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. He celebrates God's provision for him. He looks around and recognizes all that God has done and, 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 and the distance that, that exists between what he deserves and what God has actually given him. First, he celebrates God's provision. Then he celebrates God's promises. And God's precepts, look in verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. See, even in the midst of danger and discouragement and death, I still have God's word to help me make good decisions. And then finally, in verse 8, uh, he says, that as a beautiful, he celebrates God's presence. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And then finally, in the face of death, in verses 9 through 11, with this beautiful picture of God as providing a path of life. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you, will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand, David is saying, listen, as I look to the future, as I think about the, the, uh, the journey that is to come in death, I have nothing to fear. You will be with me. Yes, I will die. Yes, I will see decay. But that's not the end. And it's precisely this psalm in both Acts 2 and several other places in Acts where Peter and Paul celebrate this as the very journey of Jesus, that he goes before us into death. He goes before us into that place, into Sheol, into the pit, and says there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Does that make sense? So in the face of all of that, in the face of all of, of the, the danger of life, David says, listen, surrender to God's control. Seek out God's community. See through God's competition and celebrate God's commitment to you, his provision for you, his promises and precepts, his presence with you in danger, and the way that he's going to be a path through death. Let me close with this. I know you, I've been long here, but I just want to close with this idea just to give you a picture of what this looks like. Um, and I shared this before, I think. When, when Lydia was uh, a very little girl, she had to have several procedures done. She was just an infant, you know, about um, uh, 12, 15 months old. And uh, I would often go with her into the various procedures. And there was one particular procedure 
where um, she was surrounded by doctors and nurses who were trying to perform the procedure. She was actually awake for the procedure, and she couldn't see me, but I was there. And at one particular point, she under, very understandably started to get fearful, anxious, and scared, and start to move around, and they needed her to, to be still. And the doctor said, they said, hey, Dad, can you let her know that you're here? And I just simply said, hey, hey, sweetheart, it's Daddy. And I was able to reach, her, reach my arm in there and, and, and grab her hand. And immediately, her whimpering, her crying stopped. And it wasn't as though the, the pain or the, 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 the struggle was gone, but it's that Dad was here. And that made all the difference in the world. He's present to be our protector, to be the one who goes before us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, there are so many here this morning who are facing dangers and difficulties of various kinds. And we ask, we just beg, I beg of you, that you indeed uh, would be their master. You would, they would surrender control, and uh, they would surrender to your control and care. Father, I pray indeed that they would be those who involve themselves, even in this dark time, they would seek out your community to give, to love, to receive, to serve. Father, I pray too that they would, they would come to you to know your provision, to know your, your, your word, your counsel. Father, to know your path of life. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would make us a church that just celebrates and delights in who you are as our refuge and strength. Lord, there is no one like you. There's no one like you who is a sure uh, and mighty fortress uh, in the midst of trying times. Father, may our souls find rest in you alone. Before we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.